It's time for the Hockey Minute, your source for all of today's hockey news with some opinion. Strap in for the fastest news in the NHL. This episode is proudly brought to you by fucking nobody. We don't have any sponsors. Now, here's your hosts, Brandon and Ryan. And here we are. Welcome back to another edition of the Hockey Minute. I am your host, Brandon. With me, as always, my co-host, Ryan. And today we've got a great interview with former Toronto Maple Leaf and pro hockey journeyman John Craighead. But first, please subscribe with whatever podcatcher you use. Leave us a review on iTunes or a voicemail on Anchor. If you're fired up about something we said or something you think we should be doing better, we'll play it on the podcast, I promise. All right, before we get into our interview with John, let's check in with my empathetic pacifist of a co-host, Ryan. How you doing, man? Yeah, I know. I'm doing pretty good. I, it's you know, John used to coach me, but he'd tell you I was soft as hell. So uh, the fact that we get to interview a, a former tough guy is uh, is a little bit humbling. But uh, I'm doing pretty good. It's rainy out here. How are you doing? Oh, buddy, I'm just I'm I'm absolutely thrilled to have John on here, and I'm I'm excited to be getting into his uh, his pretty wild career all the way through uh, just a, a a nutty amount of uh, professional leagues. I'm sure he's got some some wild stories in there. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I know it was tough getting you off the golf course to come here, so we had to wait for the one rainy day that we get in June, eh? Well, I live in BC, so, you know, we get a lot of rain here, so we get a little bit of opportunity to get on the course. Uh, we got to take advantage of it. So I know that we tried a few times, but uh, it said it was going to rain for like six days, and then we got two sunny days, so we had to take advantage of it. Got to take it when you can get it, for sure. All right, John. So I, I thought I'd start us off with just a little bit of a, a, almost hockey trivia here. I think the hockey players get a bad rap of being fairly boring and uh, having these same generic quotes. So uh, we're going to play a game where I'm going to read a quote to you and Ryan, and we'll see if you guys can name its author. So the quote is, how would you like a job where when you made a mistake, a big red light goes on and 18,000 people boo? Oh, that's got to be a goalie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, gotta, it's not just a goalie, a bad goalie, too, so... <laughs> Oh jeez! Well, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to start throwing names out on that one. <laughs> Any idea, Ryan? Uh, I feel like that would be like a Briz quote, like a Briz Galov quote. It all, almost sounds like it, but it's it's one of the most legendary goalies in the game, maybe even the most legendary, Jock Plant. Oh. Jock Plant. Okay. I take back what I said about it being a bad goalie. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you won five consecutive cups, but six, uh, six team league. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's probably getting carried. Don't worry about it. All right. Well, we'll dive into the interview here. We got, uh, as, as Brandon mentioned, John Craighead, uh, former Maple Leaf. He played various pro leagues uh, in Europe and uh, later coached me, although I'm sure he doesn't want to add that to his resume. Uh, John, thanks for, for coming on here. And uh, how are you handling all this quarantine and the, and the pandemic and everything? Well, thanks for having me. Well, and, uh, you know, we're doing our part at the, you know, at the end of the day. You know, I mean, we want to try to uh, keep everybody safe, especially our own family and loved ones, uh, elderly and young. Um, and, uh, you know, for as far as, uh, you know, our family goes, we've, uh, you know, just on the, on the shutdown, my son was just finished his season in northern Michigan. So he's home and, um, you know, got out of there, you know, before they closed the borders down. And, you know, he's home training and um, doing the best that he can, like all the rest of the hockey players at home, trying to take advantage of uh, some good family time, uh, you know, in the moment and just hoping this all passes. That's awesome. Well, um, yeah, so we'll we'll dive right in here. Tell us a bit just about, you know, the beginning for you playing hockey. I mean, was there uh, a favorite player that you had growing up or or what made you kind of get into the game? 
Uh, well, my stepdad is one that actually got me in hockey. I, I grew up in, uh, in Sycamus up in the interior. And, uh, you know, I just started uh, uh, skating on the outdoor ponds because that's what everybody did uh, back in the day. Um, it didn't take him very seriously. I wasn't a big hockey fan. I didn't like the cold, to be honest with you. I excelled more at the summer sports. I played every sport <laughs> under the sun. Uh, but hockey, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it was because, uh, you know, I didn't have the proper gear or so forth. I was in hand-me-downs all the time, but I was always cold and, and wasn't a big fan of, of the game. I played actually house hockey uh, up until midget and then got, was given an opportunity uh, when I moved down to the coast uh, to play uh, midget double-A. And it wasn't until um, actually, you know, towards my end of my minor hockey career that uh, I was given an opportunity to play junior. Wow. So when, when you were growing up and playing hockey, did you see it as a, a career path moving forward? Or was it just something that you kind of enjoyed and, and, and played in and then it eventually evolved into something that you managed to, to make a real life out of? Well, to be honest, not really. I think everybody growing up in Canada, like just loved hockey, you know, like, yeah, I was born in Washington, D.C., but moved to uh, B.C. at three years old. So. You know, it was installed in Murley that it was part of the nation's sport. And if you, you know, didn't play hockey, you really didn't fit in. So that's what all the kids were doing at, uh, before school, recess, after school, whether it was street hockey or gymnasium hockey or just a big pond hockey out on the uh, frozen lakes. So, you know, it was just something that we did. And then as you, you know, watched Hockey Night in Canada, like my dad, I'd always watch, hear him watching Hockey Night in Canada. That was quiet time in the house. And, uh, you know, and Don Cherry come on and, um, you know, they uh, did all the interviews and uh, it was just an exciting time. So I think it just, uh, it grows on you. And then when you get out into the street, everybody would throw their sticks in the middle and, uh, you know, separate the teams and everybody would pick their favorite player. And at the time, my grandparents really loved Dave Tiger Williams, which uh, is ironic because he went on to become my agent oh, no. um, uh, in my later part of my career. So I work. I grew up work number twenty two on the back of my jersey with uh, not my last name, but I actually had Tiger on the back of my uh, minor <laughs> hockey jersey uh, because it just kind of adopted, uh, you know, one of the, my grandparents' favorite players at the time, and um, it was just kind of ironic how I just kind of fell in that same kind of role uh, growing up. But it was just um, one of those Canadian dreams of about wanting to play in the National Hockey League, and never really put much emphasis on it that from day one. And that was my, my main goal. I played it because I just loved it. My, my friends played it. Um, and later on, it just, uh, you know, was given an opportunity that I, I took advantage of. That's awesome. I mean, obviously, in the, the Vancouver market, Tiger Williams is a, an iconic player, right? Everybody uh, has, has a, a few big memories of, of Tiger Williams. But who was your, your favorite team growing up? Was it the Canucks? Yeah, well, growing up in BC, I, I love the Vancouver Canucks, right? You know what I mean? That's uh, you got to support your hometown team and... Uh, you know, at that time, I, um, you know, I just kind of fell into that, uh, you know, segregation of like, this is your province, this is your team, this is your city, um, you know, so if you didn't cheer from your hometown team, you're, you're kind of shunned upon and I just kind of wanted to blend in growing up. So you just kind of adopted it, you know, from my parents, my parents loved it. And my dad, my stepdad actually grew up in Nelson, BC and uh, played with uh, Danny Gare. Oh. Um, Danny Gear's dad was their coach, so you know he grew up in the old school, you know, type mindset, uh, and just kind of passed the game on to me. And you know, and, and being on the West Coast, Vancouver was our team. You mentioned you you, you played some Double A, and then you got a chance to try out for Junior. And uh, I was looking up your Junior stats. Uh, you know, he had some some smaller amount of games. Ladner Penguins, you had eleven games. Uh, then the next year, three games with the New Westminster Royals, but. 
1991-92, you played for Chilliwack, 25 games, 116 PIMS. Did you kind of realize that you know the the only way to stick was to to drop the the mitts and fight, or uh, was that just a role that was kind of put on you? Well, I, I don't know. Like I, I had more points than I did play games that year. I think I had um, uh, close to thirty points that year in twenty five games. So yeah. I don't think that um, it was just strictly one dimensional because um, you know in the short amount of junior games that I actually played, I, I don't believe I think I even played sixty games um, in in four years. So. You know, if you add up my uh, my totals, I think I was close to a point a game with uh, close to a couple hundred pims in, in penalties. So, you know, I, I kind of um, um, wanted to be the complete hockey player. Like, I'm a big fan of Cam Neely, Wendell Clark, um, um, Eric Lindros style, uh, you know, like guys that can actually do it all, you know. So in my mind growing up, I, you know, was that was the, com- you know, being the complete hockey player was the mindset that I had if I actually ever wanted to have a go at, uh, you know, being a player or, or or getting to the next level, you had to be able to do it all. And so I, I had a little fight in my bag, yeah, but uh, I also had some good hits in my bag, and I had uh, some will and determination, and I think a combination of that uh, definitely uh, helps you move on. Um, but everybody's always drawn to the 3,000 career PIMs that uh, <laughs> that I accumulated in 13 years. So, yeah, you can be um, uh, marked as a, you know, that one-dimensional style player, but I also scored a lot of goals in some big leagues, so... Yeah. Now you, you ended up, you went from Chilliwack to West Palm Beach Blaze in uh, the, the SUHL, which you're going to have to tell me what that stands for. But that year you had 36 games played, 12 goals, 21 points, 158 PIMS. And uh, so what was that transition like to go from um, Chilliwack all the way to West Palm Beach? Well, I actually didn't start in um, in West Palm Beach. Uh, I actually, you know, from Chilliwack, I actually got a tryout with the Louisville Ice Hawks. Um, it was um, my last game of junior hockey in Chilliwack, and uh, a scout had come out and and uh, was a, a player assistant in Louisville at that time, Mitch Wilson. I'm not sure if you guys remember him. He uh, he come out of uh, Merritt, BC, I believe, uh, and he had heard uh, you know through uh, Eddie Beers, who was a tenure Calgary Flame, uh, that there he you know there was this kid up in uh, in BC terrorizing the the junior A league, and uh, and just shut uh, uh, Paul Korea down. Um, in the playoffs um, and uh, could have potential to become a, you know, somewhat of a player or fill his role. So he actually come up my last game of junior hockey and uh, I actually got a tryout, uh, which was in the Hartford Whalers affiliation uh, in the East Coast. And so at 20, I actually went down and, uh, and signed with uh, the Louisville Ice Hawks and played a handful of games there. Was in and out of the lineup and was released. And then was given an opportunity uh, in that same season to, to go up to uh, Pennsylvania and uh, play a game for Eddie Johnson, where I do believe um, I uh, had a couple of points and fought the goalie and, uh, and another player <laughs> and thought, and thought you know, for sure, I'm, I'm going to make this team. You know what I mean? I was on uh, Antoski's coach at the time, and I thought, okay, you know, my, I had left my wife at the time in uh, Louisville and said, you know, I'm going on the road here to get us, a, you know, another contract. And then after the game, I'm on the uh, the payphone in the lobby saying, yeah, we're probably going to be good. Uh, pack your stuff up. I'm sure they're going to sign me. Uh, I just had an incredible game up here. And uh, the next day I was released. Hmm. So I kind of, um, uh, you know, was in disbelief, but um, uh, was getting a, uh, you know, hockey 101 lesson on uh, how the things work. Um, and, you know, just you know, really quickly learned that you're just a number in the game and, uh, you know, you can be used and uh, tossed around at uh, any particular time. So 
I had went into uh, the office and was uh, expressing my displeasure of uh, of how I felt and how I was being used. And I explained to him that I had an opportunity uh, to go and play for McSorley in Toledo. And I chose Eddie Johnson because he, he's, he's seen me play and coached against me in the BCJ. So I thought, you know, because there was a history there that he would have uh, known what he was getting and kept me around. Well, uh, that wasn't the case. Um, so he had uh, put a phone call into McSorley for me and um, McSorley, you know, obviously confirmed that, yeah, he was giving him a look, but he had filled that spot. But uh, if, you know, if I give him a call uh, in uh, 15, 20 minutes, he'll give me a, a number to a guy that's looking for a player in a new league in Florida. And his buddy was Billy Nyrop, first American uh, or Canadian born to play for the Montreal Canadiens, or American born to play for the Montreal Canadiens. I think he played for the Canadians for like 10 years. Um, so he gave me um, uh, Billy Nyrop's number and uh, I gave Billy a call and said, listen, you know, I'm available, this and that. And this was around Thanksgiving. He said, well, sit tight. Let me see what's going on. And uh, I'll give you a shout uh, back in a couple of days to see if I can uh, bring you in. Well, I didn't even waste any time. I hung up the phone. The next call was to my wife and said, listen, you got all your stuff packed. She goes, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, phone your parents for a ticket. You're going home. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, I was just released. She goes, what are you talking about? Well, you just talked last night after the game and you had a great... I said, yeah, and I'm done. And she says, well, what, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting on a bus from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and I'm going to West Palm Beach, Florida. Oh. And she's like, what? I said, yeah. I said, I'm getting on a Greyhound bus. It's going to take me two and a half days. Uh, you know, I got enough money to get me down there, and um, I'm going to sign a deal in uh, this new league in Florida. I said, call your parents. I don't have enough money to fly you home. You know, get them to lend you some money for a ticket. And um, I'll let you know <laughs> what happens uh, in Florida. Oh. And that's exactly how uh, the whole career started. I went to Florida and uh, Billy Nairoff was like, well, hold, like, you were supposed to wait till, uh, you know, I gave you a call. I said, yeah, but uh, my place, I had to leave the place. Uh, they were going on the road and I had no place to stay. So I figured I'd just come on down here and jump in a hotel and oh. Baba Blani says, okay, well, it's Thanksgiving. Um, here, we'll put you in the team hotel. And it was fantastic. I was eating out of vending machines the whole time. Um, <laughs> and I got down there on Thanksgiving. And sure enough, I uh, you know, got a nice meal at the hotel, the whole bit. And I went out to practice. And Bob's your uncle. We went on to win a championship that year. And uh, phoned McSorley the following year for, uh, you know, for a tryout again in the East Coast. And just never gave up. You know, it, it really seems like the key attribute for a hockey player to make it as a pro isn't necessarily skill-related, right? It seems to be re resiliency and kind of mental toughness to be able to grind it through all these different re rejections at different levels. Like, I'm just I'm looking through your hockey DB here, John, and it's like from 1992-93 season to the 93-94 season, you're on five different teams. Yeah. Right. And like, it, it, what's, what's, what's it like bouncing around so much? And was, was there a point where you thought either you, you were kind of going to be done and that was going to be it? Or alternatively, was there a kind of a moment where you thought, you know, F it, I'm just going to grind it out. And it, it seems like uh, if I keep putting my head down, there's going to be a path forward for being a pro. Well, you know what? Every uh, player, ha you know, th there's only a handful of players to get the gravy train right to the National Hockey League yeah. and get the big bonus and all the rest of it. And we all talk about it and hear about it. But majority of them, 90 percent, maybe even 80 percent of the guys have really interesting paths on how they get to the National Hockey League. Yeah. And without adversity, you'll never, ever make it. You have you, every player that you guys talk to or you interview on a podcast will be able to tell you a certain 
adversity they had to go through or overcome or decisions they had to make. And it always crossed their mind that, you know, is this for me? You know, is that maybe I should just, you know, go back and work for the family business or get a job or some guys have families or kids that um, uh, they need to support. Um, and the game just weeds those guys out. Because I've run across a lot of hockey players that uh, if they had the determination and will, they could have easily played the National Hockey League because they've had all the skill, but just lacked what uh, the game calls heart. And you get tested like several times. You mentioned how many teams I've played for in those two seasons. Uh, you're, you're questioning yourself 24 seven, right. like, you know, do I really have this or this or that? But the more that, you know, depending on your personality, the more you get turned down, the more uh, you run into some adversity, you can let those that, that do two, one of two things. It can either shut you down and make you retire, give up and, and become a woulda, coulda, shoulda. And you hear that all the you hear these stories all the time. I hear constantly when someone finds out that I'm a hockey player. Uh, even just yesterday, I was you know <laughs> was joined by a guy uh, that, that joined our group, and uh, you know he found out I was into hockey, and he said, "Oh yeah, I played junior, and uh, you know I was really good, and I I blew my my knee, and then I was done." And in my mind, uh, you know, all I see is the hundred guys that I played with that had multiple knee surgeries, wore multiple braces, and are still playing. Yeah. Right. It's 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 not about an injury. You know what I mean? It's about will. What kind of will do you have to play? Um, and then, you know, secondly, it's, uh, you know, you want to prove the guys wrong that don't believe that you can do it. Yeah. And uh, myself growing up in the 70s in Western Canada, up in the interior, I faced a lot of, uh, you know, challenges uh, with race and, and all these kind of things and, uh, that were never really talked about, you know, 30 years ago. Um, or even longer, 35 years ago. Um, and I, it just kind of, like I said, was going to do one of two things. It was going to really give me really thick skin and, and make me, you know, like Teflon, or it was going to just break me and I was going to become a victim. So I just made that decision early in my mind that I was going to prove to, you know, whoever doubted me, I was going to, you know, make it to the National Hockey League. And looking back, if you were to ask me now and then put me back in that situation, knowing what I know now, I, I probably would have never have made it because I probably wouldn't have been able to comprehend of what, what it would have took. It, you know, it's every day growing and building and becoming stronger and so forth um, that helps you get there or, or help, gives you the opportunity to get there. And if I, looking back and seeing what I've gone through to actually get there, uh, you know, I would do it over in a heartbeat. Uh, because the experience is uh, is totally unexplainable um, unless you're a guy that uh, Wendell Clark talks about in his book that he wrote uh, A Cup of Coffee that I was so honored that he gave me a page in his book um, <laughs> about guys that uh, what they go through to actually get a cup of coffee in the National Hockey League. Yeah. You know, we've got less than, um, uh, you know, 10,000 players that have ever played in the National Hockey League in the world. You know, and you got 7 billion people in the world. So even to have a cup of coffee and actually be able to sit down and talk about that experience with you guys and guys that love hockey and so forth, it's just such an honor, you know, and that's something that no one will be able to ever take away. You know what I mean? To, to, not only did you prove to your, your, yourself that you can make it, you proved to all the doubters that, uh, that you could do it. And more so in a situation like myself or a guy that's played, grew up playing house hockey, was never drafted, was never scouted, walked on to every team that I ever tried out for, including the trivia question of the oldest hockey player to ever walk on to the Vancouver Canucks that was never scouted or drafted and earned himself a contract. Hmm. At 30 years old, after being in Europe for four years, 
You know what I mean? I come back and earn myself an NHL contract, which never ever happens as a walk-on. They sent me to rookie camp as a 10-year pro and, you know, I went on to earn myself an NHL deal. Unfortunately, you know, too, the Canucks were the best team in the world and they didn't suffer any injuries. So I was hoping that they were going to have a good, uh, good run in the, in the playoffs so I can get on a playoff roster. Uh, but that didn't happen. But just the, the honor to, to, you know, earn yourself uh, these deals and not give up and, you know, and have a successful career. It's just, uh, it's great. And then pass that knowledge on. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you know, working with guys like Ryan and I own a junior team, uh, you know, for the last eight years now and passed the knowledge on and the dream that, hey, listen, I played in this junior B league, you know what I mean? 30 you know, plus years ago. You know, if you have the will and determination, you can get out of this league and have a successful hockey career. Uh, hey, maybe you're not going to play in the National Hockey League. Maybe that's not in the cards, but there's also Europe. I played six years in Europe. There's lots of guys that can come through our league if they really want to and go on to play in Europe and, and travel and see the world and, and get paid to do it. So now it comes down to determination, you know what I mean? Uh, and will and, and heart. If you, if you really want it, you know, don't tell anybody else about it. Get yourself in the bathroom, look in the mirror and say, listen, no matter what you go through, you know, in life and, and no matter what, you know, how many stones are, are get thrown or how many roadblocks are in your way or how many walls, uh, you know, if you can't go around it, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, just go through it. And, uh, you know, I'm a prime example of those, one of those meat and potato kind of hockey players that, you know, that, that, that people, you know, put their, you know, their, their, um, the stigma on that, uh, oh, he was just a goon. Look, he's had 3,000 PIMS. Bullshit. I graduated in honors, student council president of my school. I could have went on to university, but wasn't a university-style player. And I had a talent. I was a black belt in high school. I was a five-year Greco-Roman freestyle wrestler, and I was a boxer since I was four years old. Oh so when when I went to junior, when I went to junior, it was just it wasn't a big deal about dropping the gloves and and smashing someone's face in. And it wasn't never of me going and bullying or 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 just beating somebody up. It was always in defense. I played a good, hard, solid game and stuck up for my teammates. And it was a recipe for the perfect uh, hockey player, to be honest with you. And the stars were aligned. You know, it was just one of those things, right? John, I'm honored that you uh, you lumped me in as one of the players that you pass that knowledge on to. Unfortunately, I didn't amount to anything. Um, but uh... <laughs> well, you have. You're you're still in the game, and you and you have a passion for it. You know what I mean? So obviously, you know, there's you learn from so many different avenues. You know, yeah, you know, most influential person in someone's life is is a coach, and whether it's hockey or soccer or school or PE or you know or co- whatever. Uh, then it's usually um, uh, someone else's parent, right? And then it's usually your own parents. So as coaches, I think we have to take it on upon ourselves to take, you know, pride and take it very seriously when you're when you're molding these young kids. And I'm a hard ass. Don't get me wrong. I tell it like it is, right? Ryan, you played for me. You know, like you just, it, it is what it is. Don't sugarcoat it. Tell it exactly how it is. And, and the, the kid will have a better under chan- chance of understanding um, how to move forward and, and how to interpret it and, and, and how to motivate himself with it. Right. Uh, but you, you can't give up on, on, on players just because it's a specific time that they might not be as talented or they may not be um, at the level to maybe your top player, because to be honest with you, you know, the top players, yeah, they can get it done, uh, you know, on a regular basis and so forth, but it's usually the, the, the player that wants to be that wants those minutes and 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 works hard every day in practice and so forth that overcome talent and they you always hear that cliche you know what I mean uh, you know I don't know whose quote it is but it's been around for decades 
is, you know, hard work beats talent. And that there, at every level of business and life and sport, hard work always beats talent because talent gets lazy. And when talent gets lazy, hard work dominates. And I think that, you know, if you could pass that message on to younger kids that, hey, listen, like there's a lot of kids these days that, uh, that are soft. You know what I mean? It's almost like you can't talk to them. You can't tell them the truth anymore. And, uh, you know, they're giving out these participation awards and stuff like that. <laughs> You have to have you have to have winners and losers, and and that's how you, you you build up your weakest link. You know what I mean? You don't you don't you don't put the kid down. And say you're last. You're a piece of shit. You know what I mean? You don't deserve to. Be. No, no, no. You just say, listen, you got to work harder. You know, you can do this, right? You you can you can become second last. You know, you don't have to be the last guy, right? And all you need to do is just keep going, and you're just going to get better, and you're just going to get better, and you're just going to get better. There's ways to motivate people that uh, that lack in talent, but have great, you know, aspirations and a great work ethic. Well, I, I remember actually when you took over our team, just for our listeners, for context, like we didn't start the year with John as the coach. Uh, you kind of, I think, got thrust into the kind of like the last third of the season. We had a minor hockey coach get fired, which I don't know how often that happens. But uh, I remember you came in and you were, yeah, like you said, you were a hard ass. And I think we needed that at the time. But I remember you, you pulled me aside one practice and you're like, you know, Ryan, from the offensive blue line in, I know what I'm getting from you. And I was like, you know, chest puffed up. And and then he said, yeah, it's the other two zones. You really suck. We need to work on that. And I was <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was hey, like, oh, hey. <laughs> I remember telling my dad, I'm like, I'm like, Matt, I don't know. I don't know if this hockey thing is going to be for me. Like, he wants me to play defense. And my dad was like, well, he's, you know, he played in the NHL. Like, listen to him. And my millennial brain was just like, I, ah, you know, what does this guy know? Like, I'm, I'm going to be a 50 goal, you know, Alex Ovechkin one day, but I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, and and I do want to talk quickly just about your kids because I saw Darian. Yeah, he played four years at uh, Northern Michigan. What what kind of advice do you give your your kid from a hockey parent standpoint? I mean, it's it's always I've always felt it's it's the best to learn from people that have actually done what you're trying to accomplish. And you having the inside track on pro hockey, you must be able to just pass on a lot of wisdom to your boys. Well, I, I've been fortunate enough to grow up in the game, and and my kids, uh, you know, have that opportunity because, like, it is it's an expensive sport. It's you know, it's not uh, something that uh, everybody gets an opportunity to play. So, the first and foremost, I, I I always instilled how grateful you know you have to be to be able to actually play the game. And you know, the nice thing about me is uh, I had an opportunity to run summer camps here. I run a program called Survivor for 18 years. Had a lot of guys that have gone on one Stanley Cups to even actually do that program. And I actually just put my kids actually in the program as I was teaching other kids. And the message that I was teaching other kids was the same message that I want my own kids to hear. And so it was a little easier for me uh, to get the message across uh, about the basics of being a, a successful human being. Uh, whether or not, you know, it's through sport or, you know, through business or through education um, or, or through, you know, arts and, and music. Um, and it's all had a common denominator. And it was about work ethic and about determination that you only get out of it what you put into it. And I think that, you know, along the way, they they see me how I approached, uh, you know, other kids and the older groups and so forth and, and, and talks with the older groups that they got the message. And, it's whether or not what they wanted to do with the message, because at the end of the day, you know, another great quote is, you know, you, you don't have to you know, believe in the messenger, but you got to believe in the message. 
And there's a lot of guys that I coach that I've rubbed the wrong way that I, you know, because I have a really upfront, in your face, honest approach of coaching. Um, and a lot of kids are reserved that are good hockey players and good athletes that just don't learn that way. And I understand that. I'm not naive to that, you know. And so, you know, when I come across that and I see that, I, you know, I, I tell them, like, listen, you don't have to like the messenger. Yeah. So in other words, you don't have to like your coach, right? But you have to understand and believe in the message. Because at the end of the day, those are the, you know, people that are going to determine whether or not that you're going to get ahead. And what I mean by that is not determine whether or not you're going to play in the National Hockey League or go on to have a successful career, but they're going to determine whether or not you're going to get ice time. They're going to determine whether or not that you're going to get specialty teams. They're going to determine whether or not that you're going to be put in key situations to get the job done. And if you don't believe in that message and work for your teammates and the game of hockey and the, the love of the game, you're never really going to you know, be able to understand and handle the adversity at the higher levels. And I always said, if you can get through minor hockey, you can play in the National Hockey League because they have so many deterrents for coaches that are involved in the game for so many wrong reasons. Hence the reason, you know, I replaced a couple of coaches that have been fired, you know, at a recreational level, <laughs> which should never happen. No. Because, you know, the, in the process of, you know, the coach coordinators and coming into the association and putting in an application to actually work with the development of young minds and kids they should know already prior in that interview whether or not, you know, this guy is the right guy for the job. And I know it's very difficult to get volunteer help. But in hockey, for whatever reason, there seems to be an abundance of coaches that feel that they can, you know, read the Hockey Canada book and all of a sudden, you know, be a Scotty Bowman. So, you know, it, it, the, the whole association has to take, you know, responsibility in those situations. And I understand that you know, sometimes it could be smoke and mirrors. A guy comes in and their interview is fantastic and you get him in a dress room with a bunch of kids and all of a sudden there's, a, you know, there's some wrong messages being sent. So I, I think that, you know, getting back to it, that you really have to, you know, take it with a grain of salt because first and foremost, it is just a game and the kids have to have fun. And if the kids are not having fun, they will never learn. Because there's a part of the brain that gets shut off when someone is not having fun and they're upset and they're emotionally detached. There, the, there's a development gene in there that just does not happen. You cannot get to that kid and, and, and get to the, his best potential and, and make him excel. So you have to, one, earn the trust from the, you know, from the individuals at all levels, like you see it in the National Hockey League level, the approach of, on how they're having to approach these kids now in Toronto with the way Babcock used to coach, the way Crawford used to coach, where, yeah. like so many coaches used to coach. There's other ways now that it, that you have to be, uh, you know, diversified in the personalities that you're dealing with. You can't just treat everybody the same, beat down uh, guys that aren't performing, um, and then stroke guys that are doing well. And then, you know, hope that those dogs, you know, you know, want to get out of the doghouse and, and, and become great players. Um, so I think that the, the whole game is, is, is changed, not just in, in, in hockey, but the game of sport. That, you know, people are, uh, you know, understanding that uh, some of these guys are different than each other and they don't tick to the same, you know, you know, beat and you have to be a little bit versatile or more versatile as a coach now to, to be able to get your message across. So 
you know, perhaps maybe that's, um, um, you know, something why, you know, a lot of coaches become successful. There's a lot of great coaches that have never really even played the game at a high level that are, that are very successful. My good buddy and roommate uh, is coaching in, uh, in Colorado, who's a prime example of that. Jared Bednar, um, you know, here's a guy that, you know, played the minors his whole life, but just had an unbelievable way to talk, how he talked to people. Like even on, on his teammates, his coach, you always wanted to be around the guy because it just, you just felt great being around him uh, for whatever reason. It was just his personality. Um, and you see the, the issues he had with McKinnon in the beginning. And just he, I just knew he was just going to find a way to, to get to him because he's just one of those guys that just preaches the, the, the right message. That it, it's not that he's attacking your character and who you are as a person when he's calling you out. He's actually, you know, communicating with you and letting you know that, hey, let's see this, you know, from a totally different angle than you're seeing it. And I'm just want to just bring it to your attention because perhaps maybe if you do, you know, see it a little bit this way that we could actually get more out of you. And um, some players you have to talk like that and some players you can whip. You know what I mean? It's just the way it is. Some guys like to be the whipping post. Some guys like to be that center of attention and, and be that fall guy all the time, uh, you know, because that, that's what they feel that they need. Maybe that's part of their upbringing, and that's how they were they were brought up. But all in all, um, you know, to be honest with you, um, my kids have had an opportunity um, of a lifetime, and my son has taken full advantage of it. Um, he's at a point now where you know he moved out in grade ten. You know what I mean? He was drafted by Spokane. He he uh, moved out and ended up playing junior A as an underage, and uh, he's been on the road ever since. So he played. Uh, uh, he could have actually played five years of uh, junior A tier two, but he played three years and reported to college, uh, you know, two years early. And he graduated at 22 after four years and, and went to the Vancouver Canucks camp last year. Uh, prospect camp was at the Islanders camp the year before that. And uh, now he's as he graduated as a senior. Um, he's kind of fell into this little um, um, unfortunate situation with this pandemic. Um, but he's been in contact with a bunch of pro teams and he looks forward to signing a deal here before the next season starts. Yeah, that'll be awesome. I remember Darian was always, uh, was always such a talented kid and just kind of quiet too. Um, I wanted to jump into the, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, your, your time spent in that organization, because I do remember when you coached me, you were telling me, you know, well, telling the team stories of driving to the rink with Ty Domi and kind of talking about, you know, okay, we're playing this team and maybe you're going to fight this guy. I'm going to fight this guy. Uh, that room had Matt Sundin, Wendell Clark, uh, Doug Gilmore. Like, I mean, what's it like walking in, not just to a, a locker room with an iconic franchise? Dennis Potvin, Murphy, Matthew Schneider. Like, they're a bunch of legends. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I can't even, like, you know, as a player, I think I'm, I'm more on the fan side uh, of it than, than a player. <laughs> even though I was there to help look after him. Like, you know, to be honest with you, it was... Uh, but, you know, I kind of gambled. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to sign uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs or um, the Dallas Stars uh, with Hitchcock, um, or I th- there was another team that was um, uh, had a, a contract on the table. And I remember um, talking to my family and my and my wife at the time uh, that was uh, pregnant with uh, my uh, first son, um, Tristan, and I was like. Oh man, like what, what an opportunity to, to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs original six hockey night in Canada. All I can remember is my dad growing up watching it on TV and, you know, our kids running around, uh, you know, in the street playing street hockey, <laughs> like we'd, we'd start every road hockey game with the anthem. And like, it was just like, you know, uh, I was in a fog. You know, in hindsight, I probably should have signed with Hitchcock in Dallas. I used to fight this guy named Kevin Sawyer. 
uh, out of Kalamazoo that uh, Hitchcock uh, had on his team. And uh, I was, you know, always got the upper hand. I was very successful. My style against him was just uh, inevitable. We would fight all the time. And he went on uh, to play for Hitchcock in Dallas for, for many years and went on to um, uh, the broadcasting and had a tremendous career. Where here, you know, I, I more or less, um, uh, you know, signed as a, as a kid on, uh, on the franchise. Like, yeah. I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't a kid that did my homework back then. Like, I was just so excited. What do you mean I could actually wear a Toronto Maple Leaf, Toronto Maple Leaf jersey? Mm-hmm. Like, I was still, a, I, was like, I was a fan. I was a fan of the game still. And uh, so I didn't listen, obviously, to my coach or my agent. I had, uh, you know, uh, my coach at the time was uh, Rick Dudley. Yeah. You know, he was like, Johnny, he goes, like, listen, you're, you're, you know, you can play the national hockey, but you're just not ready. Why don't you just wait, play with me, play for me one more year, and I'll bring you with me because I'm going back to the show. <laughs> and I was thinking, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, all right. I'm going to play a whole another year in the minors. You know what I mean? Rack up another two, 300 PIMs, take the risk of being injured and never getting this opportunity. Or I could actually literally sign a uh, NHL contract right now and you have a six-figure signing bonus and, and actually get an opportunity to play for, you know, an original 16. Like, yeah. I just couldn't see anything else. You know, I just didn't, you know, it just wasn't uh, an option. I just, I jumped at it and said, listen, I'm taking the deal. First deal on the, on, on the table. There was no negotiation, nothing. I took their first offer hmm. and I, I could not wait to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. So uh, at, at, at that time, you know, I mean, I, in hindsight, I probably should have um, uh, looked at it more on a business aspect and seen like, uh, as far as the depth chart and um, am I going to see games and what are their minor league team like and, uh, you know, do all the homework that I, you know, I help my son do now um, as far as, you know, increasing your odds of, of playing in the National Hockey League. Well, one of two things happened. Um, Hitchcock went to Dallas the next year and took Kevin Sorry with him that went on and had a great NHL career. And Rick Dudley went on to being uh, the GM in the, for the Ottawa Senators and took half of the team uh, with the Vipers uh, with them, including my good buddy, Dad Kessa. Um, and I went up and ended up signing with Toronto, who at the time was going through a real nasty scenario with uh, all that exploitation with um, uh, the uh, har- harassment of the kids and stuff in the old form. And um, the Gilmore uh, was having some issues uh, with the whole babysitter scandal and the team wasn't doing well. And uh, it was just an absolute shit show. So, you know, the organization at the time uh, probably wasn't the best fit for me to, to start my NHL career in. But in hindsight, I was given an opportunity to play, which is fantastic. I played, got to play against Wayne Gretzky. I've got to play in Jolos Arena and fight Darren McCarty. Um, but uh, as far as the what was it like in the dressing room, um, to be honest with you, it was just probably the, the, the best experience of my life walking into the old Maple Leaf Gardens and uh being a part of the toronto maple leafs and being part of that family wow. you know um i they they welcomed me with open arms i went in and won the nhl physical that year i was i took a lot of uh pride in my uh my physical uh ability to, to get my job done i was a smaller guy you know i, I uh, played at 195 pounds and fought as a heavyweight which was uh, very difficult um so i had to be on cue like 24 7. i got there i just couldn't take a night off um, and obviously, you know, the physical guys uh, take to each other. Uh, you know, the nice part about uh, Ty was, um, you know, here I studied the guy all year thinking I'm going to fight him in training camp, even though that I, you know, I did, uh, you know, sign with the team already. I, I knew that how things worked, and uh, especially in exhibition and, and in camp, um, you're going to, you know, there might be an opportunity or might, be, you know, be a situation where you might have to 
you know, earn your stripes in the room and uh, let you, you know, you know, let your boys know that uh, you're legit. Um, you know, I wasn't no rookie. I, you know, I knew how it worked. You know what I mean? I had fought guys on my team in training camp, um, you know, every year getting to, uh, you know, the National Hockey League. So I knew that there was probably an opportunity or there's going to be a chance that I was going to have to fight Ty. <laughs> so, of course, I studied him all summer and uh, knew that cardio was going to be a huge determining factor, whether or not, uh, you know, the things worked in my favor. So I come in and uh, ended up winning the NHL physical. They, they made a really big deal about it and, and so forth. And it was the coolest thing. I was in the corridor um, um, in between games looking at um, uh, uh, who we're playing next and uh, and who's on whose team and so forth. And when I went in, I thought, okay, if they put me on, you know, on the same team as Ty, they're not going to want to see us fight. But if they put us on separate teams, um, it's it's inevitable because I'm going to go out and play hard and someone's going to have to answer to that. And uh, if I happen to be playing against Ty, yeah, you know, it's probably going to be him. And then I'm going to tell him, like, you know, we're going to go to a Sunday dance. Right. <laughs> and um, so sure enough, I went down and we we're on different rosters. So I thought, oh, God, they want to see me fight Ty. They want to see where I'm at. Right. So I'm like, OK, you know, and uh, sure enough, I, you know, my you know, just a quiet guy walk around with my uh, my headset in, staying in the zone, um, going to my workouts in the morning. You know, uh, you know, went to the big meeting. I said, "Oh, there's not going to be any fighting in training camp," and we're like, "You know, we know what that means." Um, played my first game fight, um, uh, Toporowski. Um, you know, because it's just it's inevitable. You're going to play hard. That's going to happen. You know, I mean, there's guys that are obviously signed, but you know, that they haven't split the clubs yet. And then I was walking through the hallway and um, I see Ty coming towards me and I hadn't met him yet. And I thought, oh God, I said, so I'm sizing him up and I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm a little taller than him. He's a little bit heavier than me, but you know I mean? I, you know, I, I got great cardio. I can string this guy out. He don't look that tough. Right. <laughs> and all, I, and all I could see was this, was this big head, you know what I mean? Coming down the hall. And I thought there is absolutely no, no way I can miss that. You know what I mean? The way I strike, I'm going to hit that thing and I'm going to hit it lots. Right. And uh, so I was actually like nervous. Like here I am walking down a hallway. This guy's my teammate. We're already, we're already signed, both signed. Like we're going to be playing together, but yet, you know, it, there's this, there's this uh, thing uh, amongst fighters that you, 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 he's not going to respect you unless you fight him. And that, and that was a thing with, with, especially with Ty, like, you know, if you want to get to know me, you got to go me. My name's Ty Domi. Right. And that was his, uh, <laughs> one of his, his, his cliches. <laughs> So here I am walking up to him. My pet pits are sweating. And I, you know, I got my hand out and uh, he's got that big grin on his face and he shook my hand. And I thought we were just going to be like, Hey, you know, have a good camp and walk by. And uh, you know, I, I went to keep going and he grabbed my hand and he stopped me and he said, Hey, listen, he says, I'm really, I know exactly who you are. I'm really glad that uh, you know, the organization has signed you. I really need some help here. Listen, there won't be any fighting in the, in camp. We're going to save it for exhibition, and I'm glad to have you on board. Wow. And it was probably the, the biggest relief of my life. Like, my whole camp changed after that. Like, I felt like, you know, that um, I was actually, you know, actually part of the team. That, you know, I didn't have to earn my spot anymore. I was, I was signed. I didn't have to, anything to prove against Ty. Uh, you know, it, it was just a, a great, and from that point on, he looked after me from day one. He drove me to the rink. He picked me up. Um, we had pregame together. Uh, you know, I just pounded him with a million questions about this situation, that situation, this guy, that guy. You fought this guy. You fought that guy. So we'd always be exchanging 
you know, uh, information. And, and, and it, I think you need to do that. You know, it's almost like brothers, you know what I mean? That you're, you know, like, you know, kosher and, uh, and, and, and Proby or, yeah. you know, like the, you, know, you, you have to look after each other. Right. So that's getting down to uh, November 23rd, hockey night in Canada on my birthday, playing against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we're playing against um, uh, Brashear and uh, Gino Ocek. Oh, jeez. And uh, sure enough, in the first period, uh, you know, uh, Brashear takes a run at Sundin and clips him late with a knee. So coach says, hey, Ty, Johnny, let's go. So we jump the boards. We're, we're facing off with um, uh, Brashear and, uh, and Gino. And on the way out, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, Hockey Night in Canada, you know what I mean? Uh, this is Ty's stage. You know, he's the one that fights on Hockey Night in Canada because he wants everybody to see it. You know what I mean? He'll probably he'll he'll probably let me fight on the road, smaller market or or whatever. <laughs> so I'm skating up to the circle and I'm thinking, okay, Ty's gonna do this guy, and um, he hits me on the pads and uh, says, "Fucking show him while you're here, Johnny." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, just like that. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't ready for this tie. Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, I was. I, I literally was not mentally prepared. Like I'm thinking that this is, you know, I'm the I'm the backup guy. Like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, you know, be the guy that's pick up the scraps and maybe end up fighting Gino in the second period or you somebody else or whatever. But this is this is the big stage, first period hockey night in Canada. Scrap breaks out. All within 15 seconds, uh, he passed the baton. Look at these two. I've got to switch the, you know, be a professional and switch the mood here and go on the offense and challenge Donald Bashir, who at the time was the National Hockey League's heavyweight champ. He went a year and a half undefeated. Donald Bashir and Craighead. And um, I was like, okay, well, I'll show him why I'm here. So, uh, you know, before the draw, I'm looking at uh, Bashir. I'm like, how do you want to do this? Do you want to square up? Do you want to, you know, uh, you know, go right away you want to you know like how you want to do this he's like listen rookie he says um i get some games in before you take a shot at the title i said no 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 i'm taking a shot right now like we're going like right off the drop and he's like listen you know what i mean you know mind your business (laughs) you guys who have done this a few times but not in this league against each other within a short obviously that happened like when a few seconds the puck drops and so he's going through to get to his point we're facing off in the offensive zone and i put the old hook ski on and he just skates right through and i'm, I'm hooking him hooking him to uh, you know getting him to engage and he's just ignoring me if i was the linesman i wouldn't want to go in there too early these are two big birds so you know i'm, I'm almost embarrassed right like you know he, he's not even like giving me a sniff right so I actually, you know, grabbed his stick and pulled the stick out of his hand and dropped my gloves. Bridger acquired from the Montreal Canadiens. Canucks haven't lost since Bridger joined the team. And in that moment, it was probably the most scariest moment that I've ever felt in, in the national, like in the in a hockey fight. Craighead called up last week by the Maple Leafs from the St. John's Baby Leafs and they're both headed for the penalty boxes. He, he stopped and turned around. He At the time he was about 237 pounds. So they're about 6.5% body fat. And I was 195 pounds uh, at about 6% body fat. And the way he looked at me was like he was going to eat me. So you know, he, he brought it and uh, you can see the fight. Like at the end of the day, you know, I was outweighed by 45 pounds. 
I thought I did fine. He didn't hurt me. Um, I did what I was supposed to do. I answered the bell. Um, got all the accolades, obviously, from my teammates. You know what I mean? Um, let them know that I was here to, you know, to do the best I could and that I was going to throw myself to the wolves uh, for this organization. And um, lo and behold, uh, it was probably uh, one of the best iconic moments in my life to be able to fight uh, on Hockey Night Canada on my birthday against my favorite team, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then getting an interview with Bob Cole in the, in the tunnel on the way out. And there's 15 guys in each team breathing a sigh of relief. They didn't have to go in against either one of those guys. You know, to be, to be honest with you, as much as my cup of coffee is, uh, you know, was still warm by the time I got sent back down, um, it, there, there are moments and stories that, uh, that I can share over and over again, being on the road, going to New York, playing against Gretzky, uh, going out for dinner, pranking Domi on the road. Like there's so many, uh, moments that happened in that sh short period of time that, uh, I'll, I'll cherish for the rest of my life and, and, and try to, um, pass that excitement and dream on to a younger kid that is so raw and has no idea what the realm of opportunity or realm of possibilities are if he just believes true and be true to the game so the game can be true to him. And that's not just the game of hockey. That's the game of life, family, relationships, business, your job, um, your beliefs. You know what I mean? I'm not a really religious man. I'm a Christian guy that, that doesn't go to church but believes in a higher power and definitely believes in a hockey god that if you are true to the game, the game will be true to you. Well, John, listen, man, this has been an absolutely incredible interview. I think it's going to go down as, as one of our greats, and hopefully we can get you on again to kind of talk some more hockey stories because it sounds like you got a lot more in the tank there. Um, but uh, is, is there any place that uh, our, our listeners could find you or anything that you wanted to promote? Um, no, like, uh, you know, we're, we're big in the community. I'm part of the Vancouver Rock alumni. You know, we do a lot of charities here. Um, you know, I own the, the Surrey Knights in, in North Surrey Arena, a beautiful facility that the city built, $55 million facility. Um, we got one of the best setups ever. Um, you know, we just kind of try to preach the, preach the game and, and wish the guys the best, make them feel comfortable when they're coming into the rink and let them know that they're part of a family. They're not just playing a recreational sport. Truly. And I'm not just saying this cause you came on, but I look back on my hockey career and I, you know, I was about 15, 60 and I realized I'm too small, too short, don't have the drive to, uh, to really make something out of this. But that uh, that half year you coached me, I learned probably more from you in that half year than I did the, the previous six or seven. So well, well, I appreciate that. So I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, and like I say, we we, we do want to have you back because we didn't even touch on Europe, we didn't touch on uh, on a lot of stuff here. But um, well, well, Europe that's a, that's a whole another ball game, you know what I mean? Uh, for an uh, an African American uh, Canadian to be speaking fluent German in Germany is um, uh, was <laughs> quite a treat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can imagine, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a time to get you back on, and I know the, the sun's going to be coming out here in a few days, so we'll, we'll wait till the winter time once the golf course uh, shuts down for you, and you can, you can get your <laughs> work on that game. <laughs> hey, hey by, the, by, by the way, my game is horrible, buddy, but I just got this sick addiction, and I am determined to get better, all right? <laughs> Awesome stuff. Thanks. Uh, big thanks to John for, for coming on the show. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. From Ryan and Brandon, we'll catch you next time on the Hockey Minute. We'd like to take a second to thank you, the listener, for joining us. And a big thanks goes to our writers and production team, Jules, Mark, and Matt. We couldn't do this without you. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at The Hockey Minute, as well as leaving voicemails on our anchor page, at Hockey Minute. And always make sure to subscribe to whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. That's going to do it for us. This is Brandon and Ryan. We'll talk to you next time on the Hockey Minute.